0: You're listening to Kindling Conversation with Siobhan Hunt, part of Kindling Kids Radio.
1: So how is Australia going in the early learning stakes when we compare ourselves to other OECD countries? A snapshot into OECD education has revealed some insights into how Australia is performing when it comes to our youngest citizens. While there's been amazing growth for four-year-old enrolment in preschool, that is preschool taught by a degree-qualified early childhood teacher, it's basically a rise from 12% in 2008 to 91% in 2015. It's a huge jump. It's the rate, however, at which three-year-olds are enrolled in preschool that is alarmingly low. So low, in fact, in places in Australia. It places Australia in the bottom third percentile of OECD countries globally. That's a lot of statistics. What does it actually mean? Joining me in the studio is Lynn Harwood, the CEO of Gowrie New South Wales. And on the phone, we have Sam Page from Early Childhood Australia. Welcome, ladies.
2: Hello. Thank you, Siobhan.
1: Sam, if we could start with you. Um, it does sound like a, an incredibly good sign that four-year-old, intent, four-year-old attendance is improving um, quite a lot. But there's a decline in the three-year-olds. Why does it matter that three-year-olds aren't meeting the recommended 15 hours per week? Um,
0: because, as you mentioned, we've, we have been doing better with four-year-old preschool, so that's for children the year before they transition to school. But we still have one in five Australian children are vulnerable on one or more developmental de- um, domains when they start school, and that's two in five for Aboriginal children. So we're still not... Doing well enough at um, providing quality early learning, so that children can make that successful transition into school and have a lifelong learning career that is, um, you know, the best they can do. So we we need to address that level of vulnerability, and we think the best way to do that. Is to increase the participation of three-year-olds in quality programs.
1: So we, most people know that that year prior to school is all about um, making sure they're socially ready for school. We know it's not as important that they learn how to read and add and all the rest of it. But what is it specifically that we are we want the three-year-olds to get out of that process of going into early learning?
0: It, it's 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 the same, but it's uh, it's about a. Um, particularly with three-year-olds um, identifying children who might be at risk of uh, of poor educational outcomes because of vulnerability. So it may be that they have. Um, it, um, poorly developed language skills or uh, are having trouble learning self-regulation or their social skills aren't where we might expect them to be Um, and by by having them in a program at three we have a bit longer to address that before they make that critical transition into school um, so we can arrange any additional support they might need. We have longer to spend with them. Um, the teacher can amend the program and adjust the, the, the activities that the children are engaged in in order to cater to those different needs. And it's particularly children that are vulnerable that will benefit from that extra year.
1: Lynn, um you work particular, you've work you worked in areas with Gowrie New South Wales mm-hmm. where you're trying to address disadvantage and you're trying to get children into schools, preschool, um, environments. Is this an issue of cost? Is that the reason why we're not seeing three-year-olds take take the hours they need?
2: Look, cost will always be an issue. It's certainly not the only issue. There are many other issues as well, but certainly cost can be. And I think um, often it's the way money is spent and the way the focus is on the different uh, areas of money. So that Access and accessibility becomes more difficult than it needs to. Certainly, um, having... um true access, universal access to early education and care right through from birth right through till five makes a huge difference the The development of a child's brain during those early years is exponential. The brain continues to develop always but the, the earlier we can bring children into an environment where there's purposeful play, where there's an environment um, where they can engage in, in meaningful and structured ways, um, it really does add Amazing benefits to the to the future potential for the child. So so certainly cost is a prohibitor in some instances, but also it's also just the system being slightly complicated that also prohibits many issues, and it's also the notion of some funding is focused in ways that makes it inaccessible for certain groups or certain subgroups within the community. So it's about a broader spread and, and just more universal and easier access.
1: Sam, does this come back to what Early Childhood Australia were trying to say um, when all the discussion about childcare funding came up and the 15 hours you wanted weren't, weren't actually agreed to? I mean, where are we at with that now?
0: Yeah, so um We didn't get the result that we would have liked in the childcare subsidy reforms that will start from next July. So what we were arguing for always and continue to argue for was that we think all children should have access to two days a week of a quality early learning program and we think that should actually start from the end of paid parental leave and continue right up until children transition to school. And what we wanted the government to do, the federal government to do, was exempt children from from their parental activity test for that two days a week um, so that they could access that through the childcare system. Um, But we also support the... um, the public and and funded delivery of preschool programs. So um, it's not one or the other, it's about having a range of different options for parents. So um, some parents um, in some states can access publicly funded preschools, in other states um, it's easier for families to access childcare and use the childcare subsidy system. All of those different mechanisms are good. The the issue is making sure that every child in Australia, no matter where they are and no matter what their parents are earning or doing in terms of activity, children have access to two days a week. And if we could do that, we think we could make a big difference to vulnerability and reduce inequity.
1: Sam, do you think this OECD snapshot backs up? what you're trying to argue for?
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. Internationally, all the developed countries have four-year-old preschool. It's a no-brainer. Most of them have really high participation rates now for three-year-olds, and they're all talking about what to do about vulnerable two-year-olds. So if you look at comparable states like the... uh, the comparable comparable countries, sorry, like the UK, 30 hours of free preschool for three- and four-year-olds and for some vulnerable two-year-olds. And the discussion internationally is really about... um, what to do at the end of paid parental leave, how long to allow for paid parental leave, then what to do at the end of paid parental leave, and how to engage um, children who may be at risk of disadvantage when they're they're just two. Um, In Australia, we're still only really addressing the needs of four-year-olds. We need to um, do a lot better for three-year-olds and then start talking about the younger age groups.
1: You're listening to Kindling Conversation. I'm Siobhan Hunt, and I'm speaking with Lynn Harwood, who's the Gowrie New South Wales CEO, and Sam Page, who's from Early Childhood Australia. And we're just chatting about the snapshot, the latest snapshot from the OECD into education, and, of course, we're looking specifically at early childhood education. If I could bring you in here, Lynne, um, As I mentioned, Gowrie New South Wales is an inclusive organisation and you're often trying to be inclusive when it comes to children who are disadvantaged. It may be something that a lot of people have heard, but can you explain to me from your practical experience the kind of impact quality early learning can have on the life of, let's say, an Indigenous child, because Sam mm-hmm. just mentioned earlier mm-hmm. that these are still, this is still one of our biggest, most vulnerable groups absolutely. in Australia. What kind of impact does that have for an Indigenous child?
2: Yes, absolutely. So going New South Wales, uh, as embedded within our values and our vision, um, uh, the commitment to being inclusive of every child and every family, and certainly within that, the Indigenous and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children are a big fork. There for us. For instance, one of our programs in Dubbo is actually um, deliberately and consciously built in an area that has a high over eighty percent percentage of an Indigenous families, and it's it's been built in an area that traditionally, even as little as twenty years ago, there were riots and there were a lot of disharmony in the community because they just were not feeling like they were being listened to, heard, or they didn't feel they had access to services that everybody else has come to expect. What we've found with working with that community is that um, it's about building trust. So once you've got that trust, um, the you know the, the child has uh, access to an environment where they can create purposeful play. They they can really um, uh, grow in in every aspect um, of to reach their potential but also it's about um, instilling trust with the family so the family have um, faith in the organization the family have faith in an external environment environment for their children and then by having that faith and trust um, it it instills a greater understanding and a greater respect from all ages and all, all backgrounds. And I think that's really important. The, the other aspect is about um, being conscious about some of the unconscious barriers that there are to inclusion. And, and certainly we have a team of professionals who work with other um, Early education and care organisations and, and, and educators to actually unpack what some of those barriers are, and and it's usually the the unconscious barriers that are you know the unknowns and 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 so it's really ensuring that uh, as an organisation, as a service, as a as an environment where children can flourish, um, there are no barriers. Everything um, is done in a very inclusive and mindful way so that um, um, children and families who are already feeling vulnerable for many different reasons are not feeling extra vulnerable when they come to a new environment and are not feeling uh, exposed or isolated in those environments.
1: (laughs) Sam, just before um, we let you go, I just, I'd i just like to end on the point that um, I love that early childhood Australia often brings up. Um, can you tell us about the economic reason behind investing in our vulnerable three and four-year-olds? So let's just say you have no social conscience at all. <laughs> there is still an economic argument, isn't there, for putting investment into these areas?
0: Yes, there's a very strong economic argument. In fact, it's one of the strongest I've ever seen and I've worked across lots of um, different areas of social policy. Um, what we know, and there was a terrific report by Price PricewaterhouseCoopers um, just a couple of years ago on this, is if we invest in quality early learning, we get uh, economic return in three areas. Um, one, which is really obvious, is we get the taxes paid by, by parents who go back to work. Um, that's the easy one to calculate. Um, the second one, we get is uh, is a benefit from children doing better in school and staying at school longer and going on to tertiary and university study um, so that's well documented as well and the third area where we get the biggest return on investment is addressing children who are otherwise at risk and reducing that vulnerability and that if we reduce that vulnerability in early childhood we actually reduce vulnerability across the lifespan so we have a lower likelihood that that um, those children are going to develop mental health issues later in life, lower likelihood that they're going to drop out of school earlier, lower that, likelihood of them developing um, other social problems later in life. So the, the those are three areas where we get an economic return and all up that economic return is as high as $50 billion um, and... We really, the, the economists agree, to be honest. There is no argument from economists that this is a sensible area to invest in. Um, the researchers and academics agree. Most of the ministers for education agree. The issue we've got is, is finding a mechanism that works across the eight different states and territories to actually um, make this a reality for every Australian child wherever they are.
1: Sam, thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. Thank you, Lynn, for coming in. Thank you. That's Lynn, That was Sam Page from Early Childhood Australia. And Lynn Harwood, the CEO of Gowrie New South Wales, will have links up to both of those organisations on our website later this afternoon. You've been listening to a Kindling Conversation podcast. We'd like to reach as many parents as possible, and you can help us by giving us a review wherever you downloaded this episode.